Hey, welcome to Oasis. First time of the year, um, of the summer, I should say. But this is going to be a sick, nasty night. Um, okay, so what we're going to be talking about tonight, obviously overflow, overflow of the heart. What does that mean? Um, it means what's God been putting on my heart personally. And what God has been putting on my heart personally to teach about is what you guys have been talking to me about. Um, some of the seniors, some of the guys I texted and asked um, in the DR and before the DR on what you would change about Oasis and, and what you want to see in, in, in your own personal life. And a lot of them said things like, I want to be better, be better at evangelizing. I want to, I want to get deeper in my faith. Um, things like, I want, to, I want to be able to train myself to know scripture when I'm talking to people. I want to know theology. I want to know all these things so that way I know. That way I'm, I'm better prepared for my faith. I want to prepare myself for college. Um, so my brother, you guys all have probably heard me talk about my brother 40,000 times, um, plays football for Nebraska, okay? He's a prime example of this. Yeah, go Big Red, right? Um, Gabe is his name. He, he started off at a very young age with this dream, and his dream was to play football for Nebraska. And all throughout his life, he trained. He trained his butt off to get to that dream. Kiana, he had a dream to play baseball for TCU. And you're going there next year to do that, right? Preferred walk-on? Mitch, you have a dream to be on that drum corps in Iowa, right? Dubuque, military drum corps thing, a little bit off? A little bit off. Anyway, it's very prestigious. Ellen told me she wanted to be a nun. I'm kidding. (laughs) She's like, what? (laughs) I'm kidding. Anyway. All three of those people have practiced, and they've trained. My brother, I can speak from him, from, from personal experience, training with him sometimes. But the, the summer before, he was going to try to walk on. He had a tryout. He, he would train four to five hours a day, two times a day, every day of the summer. He might take one or two days off a week. But he worked for it. And he had setbacks in it. I mean, <laughs> he broke his hand a couple of times. Um, one of those times, he just got mad because he missed like a layup in basketball and punched the wall. And broke his hand. It was kind of a setback. Another time, it was right before his tryout. And I was thrown to him, or my dad was, I don't remember who it was, but he ended up breaking his finger. He hurt it in lifting. He broke his finger just a few weeks before the tryout, about a month before the tryout. And he thought, like, man, what am I going to do now? And he just taped it, and, and he kept going, and he persevered through that. And thankfully, he got a tryout, and he, and he made the team. And he's still not done. Obviously, he's still training and trying to play and get on the field and those sorts of things and start over Kenny Bell and um, all those guys and Jordan Westerkamp. He's a wide receiver. Um, but you guys, you guys know what this is like. You have a goal in your life. You want to get to something. You want to be a veterinarian. You want to be a doctor. You want to be the best movie producer, whatever it is, a drum major, a baseball player. And you have to train yourself. You have to practice from a very young age. And you have to practice and train hard. And the same thing goes with our faith. You guys talk about getting deeper. Like, I want to get deeper in the Word of God. I want to know more theology. I want to be able to sit down with my friend or these people in the Dominican or in San Diego. And I don't want to be stumped on a question if they ask me what I believe about creation or evolution. And I want to know more about their religions. If they're, if they're Muslim. If they're Mormon. If they're Hindu. Whatever it is. Catholic. How do, I, how do I refute them with the Bible? How do I teach them about the Bible? How do I get them to become a follower of Christ? 
Um, so we have to train. And tonight we're not going to necessarily get into those questions. I hope next time I teach, maybe I will, um, Lord willing. But tonight we've got to lay a foundation. First we have to find the foundation of, of our faith. Um, and that's obviously the gospel. So we're just going to go through the basics tonight. Um, first thing, God desires, God desires for us to have one-on-one time with him over anything else. Yes, it's good to go to church. It's good to come to Oasis. It's good to talk to a leader, talk to Brad, your parents, whoever it is. It's good to do that and, and to listen to them and ask them questions. But what God wants from you most is that personal relationship. For you to take ownership of your own faith. That's what he desires most. That's what he wants most. For you to go in your bedroom, whatever it is, your car, and spend one-on-one time with him in prayer, reading the word of God, studying his name, Googling things you don't know. I mean, even if that, I mean, you're training yourself to do those things. Um, so turn to Hebrews 12 with me. That's what we're going to be reading out of tonight. I've got the NASB, New American Standard. You guys, if you guys don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one. Um, I think you guys, if you are using those Bibles, they're NIV. So it's going to be a little bit different, but not too much. I think the passage will be up on the screen as well. It says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is one of my favorite Bible passages, and I know I talked to a couple of guys in the DR about this passage. Um, this, this is a powerful passage. I could talk for hours upon hours on these three verses. We, we don't have hours and hours, and you guys would kill me if I talked that long. Um, but we have a cloud of witnesses. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means your baseball team, your sports team. It means your coworkers, your friends, your friends at school, your family, your cloud of witnesses, those people who witness your life and who are with you. And Christ says, since we have a cloud of witnesses, we must throw off everything that entangles us and that, that keeps us in sin. And why does he say that? Because Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, we'll get into that in a little bit, died on the cross so that we can have the ability to throw all those things away. Because in order to follow Christ, in order to have a relationship with him, we must, absolutely must, throw away everything. Any of your addictions, alcohol, sex, language, pornography, all these things, these abuse, the shame that you might have because... Uh, you don't have a good relationship with your family, your parents. Throw away all that stuff because in order for you to follow Christ, you have to give that stuff to him and let him handle it and run the race that he set before you. And he's the author and perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ died for you. He's the reason that we can have faith. Um, Galatians 6, 7. Turn there with me real quick. A lot of us, I know, struggle with, with um, kind of like a double lifestyle. I'm not saying that you're a schizophrenic or whatever, and you have multiple personalities, like I had on that video that one time a couple weeks ago. But what I'm saying is that some of us, we go to school and we don't care if we cuss. We just want to be cool. We want to fit in. All we care about is getting jacked, getting the best-looking guy, getting the best grades, and then and we don't care. You're Ryan Emel, shaking his head back there. 
I'm kidding. And then we come to Oasis, and all of a sudden we're just like, I love Jesus. I'll pray. I love God, and I read my Bible. How often do you read it? Well, I read it. That's all that matters. Do you spend time in the Word every day? Well, I read the Bible, okay? Like, that's all that matters. Sometimes the only time we get into the Bible is on a Sunday, and that's if, we're, or if our parents force us to come to church. Galatians 6, 7. I haven't even turned there yet. It's right here, though. Don't worry. Uh, it's also going to be up on the screen. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. This is kind of convicting because um, in Scripture, there's not really a happy ending for those of us who are two-faced or lukewarm. In Revelation, it says that God will chew you up and spit you out. Matthew seven twenty-one, it tells a story of a, of a man coming to Jesus, and he said, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not do all these things for you and your glory? And, and Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. Because this man had pride in his heart, and he did it for his own glory. He did not have faith. He just had knowledge, and he, and he tried all these things, and he, he wasn't following Christ. He was, he was getting glory for himself. That's all he cared about. So Jesus perfected our faith through the crucifixion and the resurrection. He did it with joy. In verse 2, um, the author and perfected our faith, who for the joy set before him. It doesn't mean he went into death with joy. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to die for everyone. No, the night before, Jesus was sweating blood. He didn't go into this joyful, but he knew that the joy that would come after he was resurrected would be priceless. There'd be no, no way to put, a, to put a value on that. And he knew that. He understood that. And so he went into this crucifixion, which, guys, I'm going to tell you in a little bit more about the crucifixion, the medical side of it, and it is gruesome and it is bad. But he went and endured this for us, for our sakes, that way we can have a relationship with God. And that's the foundation we have to have. And we have to take ownership of our faith. We can't rely on others. It's good to. But we can't solely do that. Um, so I'm going to pull up my phone here. Don't think I'm texting anyone because I have this stat sheet on the crucifixion of Christ. If any of these stick out to you, write them down. Um, and if you guys want this article when I'm done, I'm not, there's 55 points. I'm going to read just a few of them. Um, if you want this, I'll post on a Facebook later, okay? Or I, or I can email it to you. But this, these are stats, medical stats about the crucifixion of Christ. Um, the Romans invented this, or the Babylonians invented this, sorry. And um, it is literally labeled the worst way, or the, the most painful way mankind has ever created to die. This is where, the, where we get the term excruciating. Okay, this is where this term... Um, crucifixion, excruciating. This is where we get that term. So here's a couple of stats on what Jesus went through. First, he was flogged and beaten and whipped and um, spit on and made fun of, all these things. So he's already close to death because of the beating that he took. Um, and now he's enduring the cross. It is the most painful death ever invented by man is where we get the term excruciating. Okay, you, you got that. It was reserved primarily for the most vicious of male criminals. Jesus refused the anesthetic wine, which was offered to him by the Roman soldiers. So keep that in mind. Most of the time, they would offer the people getting crucified this painkillers because they knew it was so bad, they were going to die, they are going to feel it still. But they offered a, a painkiller just to ease it a little bit because it is so cruel. But Christ didn't do that. He endured it all. Uh, Jesus was stripped naked and his clothing divided by the Roman guards. Uh, that was fulfilling a, a prophecy in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. 18. 
The crucifixion of Jesus guaranteed a horrific, slow, painful death. Having been, ma- been nailed to the cross, Jesus now had an impossible anatomical position to maintain. Jesus' knees were flexed at about 45 degrees. He was forced to bear his weight in the muscles of his thigh, which is not an anatomical position which is possible to maintain for more than a few minutes without severe cramping. So those of you who know wall sits, you guys in uh, elementary school, we had to do those all the time where you go 45 degrees and you act like you sit in a chair and you hold it. The most, most people could do is probably like a minute, maybe even less than that. And Jesus had to do that for six hours. More than that. So he's having severe cramps. And he didn't have his feet flat on the floor. He had nails through his feet. His weight was borne on his feet with nails driven through them. And the strength of the muscle of Jesus' lower limbs tired. The weight of his body had to be transferred to his wrists, his arms, and his shoulders. Within a few minutes of being placed on the cross, Jesus' shoulders were dislocated. Minutes later, his elbows and wrists became dislocated. The result of these upper limb dislocations is that his arms were nine inches longer than normal. That's longer than this size of paper. Imagine my arms being that long based on the dislocations. By the end of the crucifixion, literally every joint on his body was dislocated in some form or another. Hips, um, arms, his elbows, wrists, shoulders, knees, ankles, everything was dislocated. Um, well, I've got to check what else I need to read here. So in order to breathe out, Jesus had to push down on the nails in his feet to raise his body and allow his rib cage to move downwards and inwards to expire air from his lungs. So because he's, he's hanging like this, and he's got 45 degrees, his rib cage is collapsing down on itself. So your rib cage is normally straight. His was collapsed down. And so for him to breathe, he literally had to physically force himself to do it. Because like we're breathing right now, it's like natural to us. The way Jesus had to breathe, he had to lift himself up on his feet so he could get his arms below his, his shoulders. And then he'd breathe in, and then he would let down. He, it would exhale for him and cause him to, to exhale his, his air. So normally in Hollywood, you see these crucifixions and, and they're just standing there still. When in reality, the victims that were being crucified were extremely active, constantly moving. And while they were moving, it was, it was a, uh, a length of about 12 inches. So it wasn't a short little like through two, two or three inches. He had to really stress himself in this. Um, he could not easily push down his feet because the muscle of his legs, bent at 45 degrees, were fatigued and, and severe cramps. Um, the pain from his two shattered median nerves in his wrists exploded with every movement. So every time, since they put the nail through his wrist, every time that he would move, it would, ex- it would explode. The blood would explode out of it. So Christ was covered in blood and sweat from the beating, and he, and he still had no pain colors. Uh, the blood was a result of the scourging that nearly killed him. Um, throughout this all, he was completely naked. The leaders of the Jews, the crowds and the thieves on both sides of him were jeering, swearing, and laughing at him. And his own mother was watching. Jesus' body was undergoing a series of catastrophic and terminal events. Because he could not maintain adequate ventilation of his lungs, he was now in a state of hyperventilation. So now he was panting, and he could hardly breathe. He had to move up and down very quickly in order to breathe. Um, his oxygen-starved body was getting worse and worse, and he began to pant. His heart would beat faster at 220 beats a minute, which is about the maximum normal sustainable amount of beats per minute. He was in first-degree shock. By about noon, Jesus' heart was beginning to fail. His lungs began to fill up. His heart began to fill up with fluid. He was in heart failure and respiratory failure. 
He was in desperate need of infusion of blood and, and plasma to save his life, and he could not breathe properly, and he was suff- slowly suffocating to death. The Roman guards, to make this worse, would put stools below them, right by their, right by their hip. That way they could sit on it and put the weight of their, of their body on their hip. And when they did that, it, it wasn't like voluntary. Like you had to do it, and it would take up to nine days for you to die. Others, they would break their legs, and then they would suffocate within minutes. Because of the increasing physiological demands on Jesus' heart and the advanced state of, of a big word I don't know, Jesus probably eventually sustained cardiac rupture. His heart literally burst, and that was the probable cause of his death other than giving up his spirit to God. The effect of that could take up to nine days. And when soldiers came to Jesus to break his legs, he was already dead. Not a bone of his body was broken. And that's another fulfillment of prophecy for those of you who don't know. Jesus died after six hours of the most excruciating and terrifying torture ever invented. Jesus died so that you and I could have a relationship with Jesus, with God. Jesus died. He, he went through all of this so that you and I could have a foundation in our faith. So we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. So we don't have to be in fear of, of a legalistic life. He endured this for you so that way you can finish the race set before you in your life. You can train yourself. Derek Redman, um, some of you guys have probably heard the story, seen the video. He was an Olympic 400-meter finalist, uh, the 1992 Olympics. He's from Great Britain. He was favored to, um, to be a medalist. Um, and then watch, we have a video here of him of what happens to him. So just watch this and pay attention to what his dad does. He's the one in the blue in the fourth, fourth one.
those of you who don't know that story, when you hear him tell, tell that story, he said he was running and he just heard this loud pop and he thought he was getting shot at because it sounded so loud and he realized his hamstring was torn. And he was down on the ground and then he, he looked up and he saw everyone else had finished already and he said, I have to finish this race. I have to finish for my country. Derek Redmond had a career that was plagued by many injuries. And this is his first Olympics and he made it to the, to the final heat of the 400 meters and he was favored to, to be a medalist. And he had a setback. And who came along? His dad came along and, and helped him. Guys, if what I just shared about the crucifixion of Christ doesn't affect you and motivate you in your walk with God and motivate you to, to get deeper, to, to get where you want with your goals in your spiritual life, you need to check yourself. His dad was like what Jesus Christ does for us. We run that race, and, and we're running, and, and we're trying to endure through it, but we get 200 meters into that, and all of a sudden, we, we, we blow a hamstring, and we can't finish. And he comes alongside of us, and he wants to carry us. And then all those people, did you guys see all the people coming along and saying, like, you can't finish this race? They're, they're all telling him, you have to get off the track, you have to leave, you can't finish the race, you, you went out of your lane. His dad's shoving him away, saying, no, my son's, my son's finishing this race. My son is going to do this. We're going to get back in lane five and we're going to finish this race. And that's what Jesus Christ is doing with you guys. He wants you guys to go to him, to have that personal one-on-one relationship with him, take ownership of your own faith, to get real. No more two-faced, no more struggling with all these sins. And it's hard, you're going to slip up. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word. And if you want to be a doer of the word, you have all that you need right in here. It's a training manual for our life. You want to go to people to ask questions? Okay, that's good. Go to the Bible, though. That's where you're going to find everything. All you need is God and nothing else, but it, it's always good to have others. Don't, don't go home and tell your mom, Ben said, I don't have to go to church anymore. It's not what we want. But all you need is the Bible and, and time with God. What's a relationship with Christ? It's total devotion. It's giving him all of you because he literally gave all of him for you. He resurrected and gave us righteousness. Now, now it's our time to give him our all and nothing less. It's a rap song for those of you who don't know. So you guys want to be better at evangelism? Study scripture. Study where you're supposed to go when people say, well, I believe that I'm good enough to get into heaven. Well, I believe that everyone goes to heaven and there's no such thing as a hell. Where do you go for that stuff? Practice it. Go to a mall. Evangelize it. Talk to your neighbors about Christ. Those of you who want to know more theology, yeah, study commentaries. That's tough stuff. Study commentaries. Listen to pastors that, that know a lot about theology. I have a John MacArthur study Bible. He's got some theological stuff in here. That's always great. You want to get deeper in your faith? Then spend more time with your faith. You guys train so much. You spend hours upon hours a week with band, with choir, with sports. But how much time do you give God a week in training your faith there? Take ownership of your faith in all areas and and give your life up to God. That way he can can grab a hold of you and carry you to that finish line and push away the devil and say, no, this is my son. This is my daughter. He's finishing this race. Back off. We have a cloud of witnesses. And based on the way you live your life, do they know your king? Do they know who you serve? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for tonight, and the students that came, God, it's awesome that we have a group that, that came tonight, and um, I pray for each one of them, Lord, that whatever they're dealing with, whatever they're struggling with, Lord, that it, you would just take hold of their lives, carry them across that finish line, Lord, and, and just tell the, the devil to back off, and Lord, I pray we'd be committed to you, and that we would just dig deep into our faith, and, and build that firm foundation, and take ownership of our own faith, and, and feed ourselves, God, we're 15 to, to 20 years old, ranging, and we've got to feed ourselves. So, Lord, I pray for that, and I, uh, I love you, Lord. We all love you. In your name, amen.